Welcome to Russian History Retold. Episode 248, Christmas and New Year's in Russia. Last time, we covered the life and accomplishments of the noted Russian playwright Anton Chekhov. Today, I've decided to do something that I really regret having never done before, which is devote an episode to Christmas and New Year's celebrations in Russia and the Russian Orthodox Church. Doing my research on Christmas and New Year's in Russia, I was kind of shocked to find very little in my personal library. This presented a number of problems in trying to put this episode together. Still, I found enough material to give you an insight into how Russians have celebrated these two holidays over the past thousand years. First things first. I'm sure most of you know this, but some may not. But most, not all, Russian Orthodox followers celebrate Christmas on January 7th of the Gregorian calendar. This is because much of the church continues to use the Julian calendar, which is 13 days behind the Gregorian. Concurrently, they celebrate New Year's on the 13th, which happened to be my grandfather's birthday. Growing up in New York City during Christmas is a fond memory I hold to this day. For my family, going to church was a weekly event, first on Saturday evening, then on Sunday morning. But the holidays, and in particular Christmas, were the most joyful. Christmas to the Russians is more than a one-day event. It is celebrated over 12 days, each with its own meaning. This time is known as Christmastide. Historically, it has been suggested, and with ample evidence, that the use of December 25th as the date of Christ's birth was chosen to supplant so-called pagan holidays, and in particular, Saturnalia. Now, Saturnalia is an ancient Roman festival and holiday in honor of the god Saturn, held on December 17th of the Julian calendar, and later expanded with festivities through to December 23rd. The 25th of the month marked the Roman celebration of the winter solstice. Nothing in the Bible suggests a specific date for the birth of Jesus. Now, various interpretations suggest a day closer to spring than winter. But the first time we hear of a celebration of the holiday on December 25th in Rome is in the year 336. One of the other reasons that this date has been chosen is that it is nine months after March 25th, the date of the vernal equinox, and a date linked to the conception of Jesus, which is celebrated as the Feast of the Annunciation. This last explanation is the one that the Russian Orthodox Church commonly uses. They deny, as is their right, that December 25th was chosen as a way to compensate for the loss of a pagan holiday. Before we discuss the importance of each day within the 12 days of Christmas tide, I'd like to discuss the Russian ritual of fasting before religious holidays. Whereas the Roman Catholic Church has a few fasts, they truly pale in comparison to the Russian Church. As Orlando Figes puts it in his book, Natasha's Dance, A Cultural History of Russia, quote, But no other church was so hard on the stomach. There were five weeks of fasting during May and June, two weeks in August, six weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, 
and seven weeks during Lent. The Lenten fast, which was the one fast kept by all classes of societies, began after Shrovetide, the most colorful of the Russian holidays, when everybody gorged themselves on pancakes and went for sleigh rides or tobogganing. At the end of the Christmas fast of six weeks, known as the Fast of Advent, or Philip's Fast, named after the Apostle Philip, it's a celebration that ensues that includes all sorts of foods. I picked this explanation from a website that has a page on an orthodox reflection of the 12 days of Christmas. Quote, Christmas tide is fast-free, but not for the sake of gluttony. Rather, because we are celebrating the purification and redemption of creation that is wrought by Christ's incarnation. All foods are sanctified and acceptable for Christians by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We traditionally give gifts to one another, imitating the Magi who brought gifts to the Savior, the Theotokos who offered Christ as a gift for the life of the world, and the example set by St. Nicholas. So what did the traditional Russian Christmas meal look like? It was quite varied and full of things that some might find kind of unusual or, I would say, even repugnant today. Here's an excerpt from the book, The Domostroy, Rules for Russian Households in the Time of Ivan the Terrible. And this is an English translation of typical offerings during the Christmas break. And it's going to go on for a bit because... They had a really wide variety of different foods that they would serve. So, quote, During the great Christmas feast, December 25th to January 6th, they put these foods on the table. Swan, swan giblets, roast goose, black grouse, partridge, hazel grouse, roast suckling pig, salt mutton, baked mutton, pickled suckling pig, suckling pig innards, chicken soup, corned beef seasoned with garlic and herbs, Elk, pickled elk heart, chopped elk heart, elk lip, liver, and brains. Pan-fried hare, pickled hare, roast chicken, goose giblets, pot-roasted beef, pot-roasted pork, ham, sausages, stuffed stomach, pot-roasted goose, pot-roasted chicken, crooked burbo, pea noodles, noodles, carp, dumplings, cabbage soup. They further went on. Quote, and during the great Christmas feast, people set out these fish dishes, steamed in fresh chilled herring, steamed bream, white salmon spines, pink salmon spines, steamed sturlet, steamed low dog, winter soup, butter, suckling pig, whole duck, saffron soup, blackfish soup, burbo soup, roe, burbo liver, pike soup spiced with pepper, soup made from perch, roach, Bream, carp beluga, and sterlet, soup thickened with wheat flour, soup served with bread, sterlet soup, pike perch soup, and soup made from sterlet guts. Hmm. Lastly, quote, and these pickled dishes white salmon, pink salmon, sterlet sturgeon, sterlet head, pike head cooked with garlic, fish cakes, boiled pike, perch, perched roach. Bream pickled pike with horseradish, lightly salted pike, horn-shaped rolls, ribs of beluga, fried herring, grilled sturgeon, braised sturgeon, long strips of sturgeon, and cabbage soup. 
As you can tell, there are some very familiar foods and some that are quite unusual to our Western diets. But of course, this was the type of foods available during the time of Ivan IV, although it is doubtful that the ordinary peasants had any of these foods at their Christmas table. What I remember of Christmas dinners with my Russian grandmother is a table full of different types of birds like goose, turkey, and chicken. In addition, there were serious helpings of mashed potatoes and all sorts of other vegetables. As for drinks, we enjoyed lots of homemade offerings like compote, a mixture of different fruits boiled in water and allowed to merge flavors. It was a non-alcoholic drink, so it was suitable for us kids. The adults may have partaken in kvass, which is also a fruit-based drink with a low alcoholic level, although from the way some of our parents would react, it was probably a lot stronger than they said it was. The celebration of Christmas was supposedly brought to the Church of Antioch, and after that to the Eastern Christian churches, by St. John Chrysostom in the 4th century. When Vladimir the Great ordered the baptism of all the people of Rus, Christmas became a major holiday throughout the land. As I mentioned earlier, it would become a major celebration lasting 12 days. One of the real reasons for this extended partying time is the harsh winter conditions in much of Russia. The people needed this break to overcome their incredible boredom and difficult living conditions. When the Bolsheviks took over, they banned the celebration of Christmas or any celebration during that time period. According to the Bolsheviks, Christmas trees were a bourgeoisie symbol originating from Germany their World War I enemy. But this would be overturned in 1935 by orders of Stalin. Many Christmas traditions were revived as part of a secular New Year's celebration, after Stalin's advisors convinced the leader of the people's need for a break from the hard work in the middle of a long, cold winter. The Christmas tree was repurposed as a quote-unquote New Year's fir tree. It would be taught to all children throughout the Soviet Union, including republics that historically had not celebrated Christmas due to different religious traditions, such as the people in the Central Asian areas of the Soviet Union. Other Christmas attributes and practices, such as gift-giving, Dead Moroz's visits, and Christmas decorations, lost their religious significance and became associated with New Year's celebrations, which were secular in nature. So, you may be wondering, wait a minute, who is this dead Moroz character? Well, he's the equivalent of Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas, or Father Christmas. It comes from old Slavic traditions preceding their conversion to Christianity, where he was considered the wizard of winter. The literal translation of dead Moroz is Grandfather Frost. He's been described as wearing a full-length fur coat in red or blue, a semi-round fur hat, and a valinki on his feet. Now, a valinki is a felt boot commonly worn in old Russia. Dead Moroz has a long white beard, walks with a long magic stick, and often rides a troika, a three-horse led sleigh. He is often depicted bringing presents to well-mannered children, often delivering them in person around Christmas time, and secretly 
under the New Year tree overnight on New Year's Eve. There is a uniqueness to Dead Moroz and the role of one of his helpers, Snegurochka, or Snow Maiden, who happens to be his granddaughter. And she wears a long silver blue robe and a furry cap or kind of a snowflake-like crown. This is unusual as no other character like Dead Moroz is said to have a female companion. During Soviet times, the image of Dead Moroz took its f- current form, becoming the main symbol of the New Year's holiday, or Novoya God, which, me- which replaced Christmas. Today, Dead Moroz is extremely popular in Russia. In 1998, the town of Veliki Ustyog in the Volgoda Oblast was declared the home of the Russian Dead Moroz by Yuri Lushkov, then mayor of Moscow. Between 2003 and 2010, the post office in Veliki Ustyog received approximately 2 million letters from within Russia and from all over the world for Dead Moroz. On January 7, 2008, Vladimir Putin visited Dead Moroz's residence in the town of Veliki Ustyog as part of the Russian Orthodox Christmas Eve celebration. And I'll return to the New Year's celebrations a little bit later on in the episode. As for the more religious side of the Russian Christmas celebration, we have many different, more somber ways of commemorating the birth of Jesus Christ. From one website, they describe the ritual that many Russians follow today. Quote, Christmas Eve in Russia is quite a bit less cozy than the one Westerners enjoy. Rather than snuggling up to a log fire, devout Russians trudge through the snow to attend three long evening services, the Royal Hours, Vespers, and the Divine Liturgy. Once the services are over, believers are supposed to eat 12 courses, with each dish representing one of the apostles. As only fish is allowed on the 6th, the traditional feast prepared usually features cod, vegetable pierogi, borscht, and stuffed cabbage. Though that might sound like an ordeal in itself, Christmas Eve is far from over. In the dead of the night, worshippers have to trudge all the way back to the church to witness the joy of the Savior's birth or the all-night vigil. After hours of standing, remember, Orthodox churches typically don't have seats, The whole congregation walks around the outside of the church a good few times till the clock strikes midnight. Now let's review the 12 days of Christmas per the Russian Orthodox tradition. First, of course, there's Christmas Eve and day, followed on December 26th by the celebration of the Theotokos, which is a title of Mary, Mother of Jesus, used primarily in Eastern Orthodoxy. The usual tra- Latin translations are de genetrix or de para, generally meaning parent of God. This day is spent in reverence to Mary. One important fact about Jesus' mother is that in the Russian Orthodox Church, you never see an icon of Mary alone. It is always with her son. December 27th is spent celebrating what is generally recognized as the first Christian saint, Stephen, traditionally venerated as the first martyr of Christianity. 
According to the Acts of the Apostles, he was a deacon in the early church in Jerusalem who angered members of various synagogues with his teachings. Accused of blasphemy at his trial, he made a speech denouncing the Jewish authorities who were sitting on judgment on him and was then stoned to death. Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul, a Pharisee and a Roman citizen who would later become a Christian apostle, participated in Stephen's martyrdom. Day 4, December 28th, is a remembrance of the 20,000 martyrs of Nicomedia. In 302 AD, Roman Emperor Maximilian, Maximian Hercules, while visiting Nicomedia, learned of a large number of Christians living there and devised a means to get rid of them. It was the days preceding Christmas that he visited. So on Christmas, as the Christians were in church, his soldiers surrounded the church so no one could leave. The emperor's envoy gave them a choice to deny Christ and offer sacrifice to the pagan idols or be burned to death. The congregation chose death, with some of those in attendance supposedly getting baptized. The soldiers set fire to all four sides of the church, and the building allegedly burned for five days. According to legend, the smoke had a fragrant scent and a golden light surrounded the church. December 29th is another day of remembrance of the 14,000 children of Bethlehem, known as the Holy Innocents, who were murdered by the order of King Herod. When Herod heard about the three wise men and about a newborn king in Bethlehem, he ordered that all babies, two years and under, be killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. December 30th is the day they celebrate Deacon Timon's martyrdom in the 3rd century and St. Anicia from Thessaloniki. The latter's death was due to yet another edict from Roman Emperor Maximian, who ruled that anyone was free to, cre- to kill Christians when and where they came across them without trial or sentences. So as Anicia was out in the streets one day, a soldier approached her, and confirmed through direct conversation with her that she was a Christian. He ran his knife through her, under her rib, and killed her. January 1st is the day that Jesus was supposedly circumcised. More importantly, this is the day that Jesus was given his name, which means Savior. Also, St. Basil the Great is remembered on this day. Born around 300 AD, under the reign of Constantine the Great, Basil was an influential theologian who supported the Nicene Creed and opposed the heresies, supposedly, of the early Christian church. He would lead the fight against both Arianism and the followers of Apollinaris of Lacadacia. His ability to balance his theological convictions with his political connections made Basil a powerful advocate for the Nicene position. He died on January 1st, but some recent scholars have claimed it should have been January 2nd. St. Sylvester, Bishop of Rome, is celebrated, celebrated on January 2nd, with January 3rd celebrating the prophet Malachi, who prophesies the coming of Jesus Christ and the mission of John the Baptist. Finally, on January 4th, the 11th day, the Church honors the Synaxis of the Seventy Apostles when Jesus supposedly sent out his messengers, sending them out two by two to every city. 
On the last day, we have what is known as the paramony or the preparation, which is a preparation for the baptism observance of Jesus on January 6th. Although, although not considered part of the 12 days of Christmas, January 7th is celebrated in honor of St. John the Prophet, who baptized Jesus. In modern Russia, there's been some controversy over the celebration of Christmas, with a few lawsuits actually filed to stop the government from sanctioning the holiday. But they've all failed. Putin has made it abundantly clear that the Russian government and the Russian Orthodox Church are tied at the hip, strengthening Putin's image with many of the Russian people. New Year's Eve celebrations have always been a significant festivity in Russia. Anna Lelong, a diarist and daughter of Count Orlov from the early to mid-19th century, wrote this memory of New Year's Eve. Quote, There was always an all-night vigil and prayers on New Year's Eve. Dinner was at nine, and afterwards there would be fortune-telling in the dining room. Twelve cups would be made by hollowing out onions, one for every month, and salt would be sprinkled in them. Then they would be put in a circle on a table marking a different month on each. We children would then be given two glasses. We would pour water into them and then drop egg white into them. We would then get up on New Year's morning very early and go into the dining room, which stank of onion. We would look into the glasses and see fantastic shapes that had been made of egg white. They looked like churches, towers, or castles. The grown-ups looked at the onion cups and worked out which month would be particularly rainy or snowy, depending on whether the salt in the onion was dry or not. There was an order then to clear everything away, and the stoves were heated, all the windows opened, and some kind of powder burned, which gave off a nice smell. We were not taken to church that morning. We would spend it playing with our puppets, with bits of food from the banquet given to us by the servants in the kitchen. Now, historically, from 1492, the New Year was uh, initially celebrated on September 1st, per the Byzantine calendar. However, in 1699, Peter the Great issued a proclamation adopting the Western calendar in 1700, and that the New Year would be celebrated on January 1st. In addition, it called for streets to be decorated with the branches of fir, juniper, and pine trees for the holiday. The tradition later evolved into the practice of decorating New Year trees. However, their use in homes was hindered by the Slavic superstition of fir trees being associated with funeral rites. After the Russian October Revolution, Russia adopted the Soviet calendar derived from the Gregorian calendar in 1918. As I mentioned earlier, in 1928, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union abolished all religious holidays. In December 1935, via a letter published by the party's official newspaper, Pravda, politician Pavel Postyashev proposed that the New Year be celebrated as a secular holiday benefiting Soviet youth. The celebration would adopt Christmas traditions in a secular form, including New Year trees, stated to symbolize happiness and prosperity among youth, replacing Christmas trees and the figure of Dead Moros. On television, 
the Soviet variety show Little Blue Light traditionally ran an episode on New Year's Eve from 1962 to 1985. Even after the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the reinstatement of religious holidays, Novigod has remained a particularly popular celebration in modern Russia and among Soviet expats living in other countries. The Little Blue Light New Year's Eve special was revived in 1997. Dead Moroz has continued to be emphasized in an effort to prevent the encroachment of the Western world's Santa Claus. Glonas, Russia's version of GPS, has promoted a Dead Moroz tracker on New Year's Eve, similar to the United States NORAD tracking Santa campaign. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I wish all of my listeners and your families happy holidays, whichever way you celebrate them. Join me next year. Yes, I'm taking the next week off when I start a new two-part series, How America Saw Stalin and the USSR in 1943. It is based on a gift I received from my dear friends Dave and Claire, which was a copy of the March 29, 1943 issue of Life magazine. The cover is that of Joseph Stalin, and it reflected our opinion of the Soviet Union while they were allies of ours, fighting the Nazis in Europe. So, until next time, das vidanya e spasiba za vinyamanya.